We're going to turn to 1 Samuel uh, 17. We're going to read from verse 22 through to verse 51. You'll be familiar, obviously, with the portion of Scripture. The Philistines are up to no good again, attacking the children of Israel. They're encamped at a place called Ephestamon. Uh, but the Philistines have a secret weapon and the guise of Goliath, who uh, comes out and defies the armies of Israel, throwing down the gauntlet, offering the challenge. And, uh, well, the children of Israel, are uh, their knees are knocking. David is being sent by Jesse to his brothers who are in the army. And we're breaking in at verse 22, where we're told David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men. Who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has both, uh, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the land and from the paw of the boar, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor 
and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took a staff in his hand, and he, and he chose uh, for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel, I read on to verse 42, Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the folly of the gates of Akron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharahim, even as far as Gath and Akron. Amen. And in our reading there at verse 52. My... Um, Florence May Chadwick is probably not a name that's familiar to yourselves. But her story is worth retelling. She was an American swimmer known for her long-distance open-water swimming. She was the first woman to swim across the English Channel in both directions, setting a, you know, a record each time that she did it. She was also the first woman to swim the Catalina Channel uh, between the island of Catalina and uh, the uh, Californian coast. Uh, she was the first woman to swim the Straits of Gibraltar, the Bosporus in one way, and the Dardanelles. She did a round trip. It's the Catalina Channel swim that I want to draw your attention to. It was 1952. She gets into the freezing cold water. And she attempts to make that 26-mile swim between Catalina Island and the coast of California. 
Uh, as she began, she was flanked with a flotilla of tiny boats that watched out for sharks and were prepared to obviously give her help if she got into uh, any trouble or got hurt. After about 15 hours, a thick fog set in and Florence began to doubt her ability. She told her mother, who was in one of the little boats, that she didn't think she could make it, but she kept swimming for another hour before asking to be pulled out of the the sea. Unable to see the the coastline due to the fog, as she sat in the boat, she found out that she had been pulled into the boat. She had stopped swimming just 300 yards short of her goal. In an interview afterwards, Florence said, I'm not excusing myself. All I could see was hopelessness. But, I could, but if I could have seen the land, I, could, I knew I could have made it. Her clouded vision kept her from victory. Two months later, she tried again. Same thing happened uh, with the fog setting in, but she succeeded and reaching the coast of California. She said that she kept a mental image of the shoreline in her mind while she swam. That's what kept her hope alive and drove her on. Now, the story of Florence Chadwick obviously has an implications in so many areas. You know, the fog could be a metaphor for all the Distractions in our lives that prevent us from seeing, you know, our goals. The fog could be a metaphor for our own lack of planning. And of course, there's always the the question: if we could see through the fog, uh, would we even know what we were looking for? Uh, sometimes uh, we just don't know how close we are to success, and we we quit. We throw in the towel just before the fl- the fog lifts. And we see how close we were to achieving our goals. So as we stand on the brink of a new year, how do you see the challenges of 2024? How do we as a church see the challenges of 2024? Obviously, to say a thick, moral, ethical, religious, spiritual fog has set in would, uh, would be an understatement. Uh, To change the metaphor, giants surround us. Uh, Giants surround us, taunting us the way Goliath taunted David. The way the children of Israel felt uh, when the spies came back, the way they felt when they saw the giants in the land. You know, it, it just, you know, they were just defeated at the very sight of the giants. And uh, we look at the situation in our, in our land, you know, uh, morally and ethically, as I say, and spiritually. You know, how do, how do we view these, these giants that we see all around us? Are they insurmountable obstacles or are they an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed? By looking at this incident... Very briefly in David's life, and then we'll go to prayer. We can learn some principles about facing the threatening, discouraging obstacles that come up in the life of every Christian, come up in the life of every Christian church. We can look at Goliath 
in one of two ways, through the eyes of the faithless or through the eyes of the faithful. American preacher and evangelist Haddon Robinson said, quote, in any situation, what you are determines what you, what you see. What you see determines what you do. Now, keep that in mind as we look at these two views of Goliath. Just over a few moments, okay? What you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. The limited few of the faithless, the limited sight of the faithless, brings about fear, resulting in dominance by the enemy. Fear comes when we live by sight, not by faith. The few of the faithless is the few limited by sight. It's a it is a limited few because the spiritual is not involved, only the natural physical. We see obstacles as undefeatable giants because of their imposing character. You know, Goliath is estimated to have been, you know, nine foot tall. You know, he must have been an imposing character. And all all the men of Israel, when they when they saw this this uh, walking military machine fled from fled from them. Their, their hearts failed them even before the battle begins. You know that they start to run away. They lay their eyes on Goliath, and all they see is the physical. You know we're going to be slaughtered. You know let's leg it. When we live by sight, it leads to defeat being dominated by the enemy. And is that how it is with the Church of Jesus Christ in the Western world at the moment? You know, there's so many giants and they're so focal. And if anybody puts their head above the parapet, you know, they're always on top of them, threatening them, abusing them. And, uh, you know, do we think, is that why the enemy's dominating us? You know, because, you know, we think they're too strong. They're too big. The unlimited few of the faithful brings about the unlimited few of the faithful brings about courage, which results in totally dominating the enemy. Courage comes when we live by faith and not by sight. Courage comes because we have confidence in God's unlimited power, not in our own physical limitations. The few of faith sees obstacles as potential victories because of our God. You know, our God is on the throne. David saw this. You know, look at the, the attitude David displays in verse um, 20, 26. He's talking about, um, You know, Goliath is throwing down the, the gauntlet, the men are panicking. David spoke to the men, verse 26, who stood by him, saying, what, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David had his eyes in the right place. He had his eyes on the living God. You see, the eyes of faith are completely uh, a completely different issue, aren't, aren't they? It is 
it is not a threat to my security, but it, it's a defiance of the power, the presence, and the very character of the Lord God of hosts. That's the, that's the issue. You know, it's God's character being called into, into question. David sees it not as the armies of Israel being run down. The problem, as far as David is concerned, is bigger than that. The armies of the living God are being run down. It's not my reputation at stake. David is saying it's Jehovah's reputation. Because God has promised to be with his people. God has promised to deliver his people from you know, the hands of his enemies. And to allow this Philistine, this Goliath, to come out and spout about you know, the victory that he's having over the armies of Israel. That's, that's tantamount to telling the almighty God that, that this is one problem that he, you know, the God of the Israelites, isn't able to solve or do anything about. And so, just let's notice the steps that David took to defeat the giant. The same steps that you and I can use to observe the, uh, the victory from the Lord. Firstly, ignore the, the doubts expressed by the faithless around you. You know, David's brother saying, look, get back to your sheep. You know, everybody else saying, uh, you know, you're not going to go out and fight this giant without this armor on. You, sticks and stones aren't going to be enough to beat this giant. And Saul expresses his doubts and fears. People will tell you, just quit. People will tell you, just be quiet. Don't say anything. Right out the storm. Satan will whisper, you know, don't say anything. Just, uh, just be quiet. And David ignored all of those whispers, all of those shouts, and David kept his eyes on the living God. But secondly, see how also he used proof stories, and we've threw, threw this out before, you know, taking encouragement from past deliverances. David's proof story concerned a lion and a bear who tried to come and steal some sheep out of the flock when they attacked. Well, the proof that God was going to be with him was that God had delivered him from, you know, the hand of these beasts. What David is reminding us to do here is to remember that the same God has answered our prayers before. You know, he's the same God who parted the Red Sea. He's the same God who, you know, rained down manna from heaven for 40 years. He's the same God who stopped the sun from uh, setting when Joshua needed it in order to bring about uh, a victory against the Canaanites. He's the same God who raised the dead. He's the same God who provided a ram that was caught in the thicket when Abraham was about to kill Isaac. He's the same God who worked in the revivals of the, uh, the 18th uh, century. Isn't the 18th century? Yeah, the Great Awakening, wasn't it? Uh, so, yeah, it's God has done all these things, and he's still God. You know, at the end of 2023, our God is still on the throne. And so the proof stories help us remember that our Father will come through for us because he has promised that he will, you know, build his church. Well, Jesus promised that he will build the church and uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, Christ is here. Christ is active. He will deliver us from the Goliaths of uh, our present age. And 
how often we just need to remember and recall God's saving acts in the past as a spur to, uh, to drive us on to victory in the future. And the, the last thing was you know, David basically forsake through off the, the fleshly means. Give uh, Saul back his armor. Something that hadn't been proven as valuable or favorable as a means for uh, you know, bringing about the victory. Gives it back. And we can't use you know, worldly means in order to you know, try and generate you know, more numbers or whatever. You will have to stick, always stick to the word of God. And to the, uh, the, the principles and the precepts of the word of God. And, you know, David's, I think David's um, confidence in God is striking. Uh, because when he uh, talks to Saul in first, let me see, where is it? Yeah, verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep. His father's sheep, you know, past tense. That's what I used to do. It's like he knows already from the conversation with the other soldiers, you know, the guy who beats this Philistine. His life's going to be changed forever. Going to marry the daughter of the king. Not going to, be a, not going to pay taxes in Israel. He's going to get silver and gold. Life-changing. And David recognized that even before he was out there to meet the Philistine. I used to do that. That was my old job. See, when this Philistine's finished, I'll be taking you up in your offer. I'll be marrying your daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, let us have confidence in our God. And maybe sometimes have the confidence to pray the way Isaiah wrote about the, you know, the coming Messiah and you know, as if it had already happened, and yet it was several hundred years in the future. Let's pray that, the, like, God, you've given us a victory. And have the confidence to pray that, you know, God will help us as a church to make progress in the, as we try to fulfill the Great Commission, or as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission in obedience to God's word through 2024. As um, we pray about, you know, a new pastor, you know, Thank you for the one who will come and, uh, and shepherd flock here. Let us seek God for these, for these blessings for the church. And don't be, uh, don't be discouraged that you know, the doors haven't opened as quickly as we had hoped. Um, God will move. And he'll move in his time. And we'll look back and we'll say, didn't God do all things well?